uh, the Sunday right after Thanksgiving, Shane really connected us back to the significance of the season with a message that talked about being in Christ and pointing us to Christ, which I think is a great start to the, to the Advent uh, season. Uh, and then what I did on the first Advent message is I really traced the idea, Jesus is the light of the world, and kind of traced the idea of the light and how the light moves through the Old Testament and, and then hovers over Jesus and, and um, that Shekinah was in him. Um, and we trace light through uh, the whole Bible. Last week, Michael did a great job chasing, tracing kingship through the whole Bible. Um, this week, what I'm going to do is I'm going to trace the theme of Bethlehem. And just let you know up front, Bethlehem has an interesting dynamic to it throughout Scripture. If you trace Bethlehem throughout Scripture, which is what we're going to do today, uh, every time you encounter Bethlehem, there's birth and death always birth and death. Uh, and so I think it's no mistake that when you get to the end of the Bethlehem narratives, there's birth and death, birth and death, birth and death. And Jesus is born there. There's death immediately, but he was born to die. We're going to see how that theme is woven throughout all of scripture. And in all of that, what we're trying to do is, is get a focus on Christ for us this year. Um, I, we're, we're trying to make sure that we pay attention to the centrality of Christ's coming, not just at Christmas time and in the Christmas passages, but throughout the entire Bible. If you take the theme of light, it all ends up leading to Jesus. If you take the theme of kingship, it all ends up leading to Jesus. If you take the theme of Bethlehem and the births and the deaths, they all lead up to the one who was born so that he could die, so that when we die, we can have life. Um, it's throughout scripture. Uh, we also want to make sure that uh, we are prioritizing Christ during this season. Um, we have some Christmas devotionals. It's not too late uh, to do that. Maybe just this last week, you want to jump into our Christmas devotional. You can pick one up at the Connection Center. Um, it's an opportunity for you to really just focus on Christ. And we want this time to be a time for us to pursue really a deeper intimacy with Christ um, as we think about what he has done for us. Um, the plan throughout all of scripture. <laughs> but Christ had to willingly say he would leave the glories of heaven to come down and be our savior. Um, and that is a significant thing. And, and we also want you to be thinking Advent is a really important thing that we anticipate the Advent, the coming of Jesus Christ. And we really want to focus our attention on all of that. Um, as I said this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to trace Bethlehem. That's really, this message is on a little town of Bethlehem. And I know we often just think of Bethlehem as, well, that's the place where Christ was born. But Bethlehem has a significant and I think an intentional history throughout the scriptures that focuses on something very, very important. Um, both of the birth narratives in Matthew and Luke go out of their way to focus on Bethlehem. Uh, Matthew says it this way, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star at its rising and have come to worship him. Um, and, and then there's that um, interaction that we <laughs> looked at with the wise men as they tried to figure out, okay, where we're supposed to go. And they're supposed to go to Bethlehem. It focuses on Bethlehem. Luke focuses on Bethlehem as well. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth, where he lived, in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, 
Um, it, it focuses our attention on Bethlehem. Bethlehem again, again, and again. Uh, let me just give you kind of some orientation to Bethlehem before you start our journey through Scripture. Uh, this is a map of the Middle East, and if you take a look at Israel, there's a, a ridge that's right in the middle. Mediterranean is there on the west, and the Jordan River is on the east, and there's this ridge um, of, of mountains and hills that kind of rolls through the middle of Israel. Um, right down here is where Bethlehem is. Um, zero in on that a little bit. It's only about four or five miles from Jerusalem, depending on you know, where you're le- leaving from. Uh, the, the, the borders are not too far apart. This is a picture of modern-day Bethlehem. Um, out in those hills on that ridge, modern-day Bethlehem is kind of up on one of those ridges. And you can see, I mean, the shepherds watching their, their flocks in the, heel, in the hills, you can see this. Um, and in Bethlehem, uh, Ben and Gail were just there and saw this. Um, this is the church of the nativity. This is actually the place in Bethlehem uh, where we're pretty sure Christ was born. And, and this is one of those places where I think they're accurate, um, where Christ was born. Um, the church of the nativity is actually one of the three churches that's on the site. There's a Catholic church, a Coptic church, and a Byzantine church. So there's, there's three different churches on this site because they're all trying to be close to where, uh, the, the church of, or where the birthplace of Christ is. And it's actually in the basement of these, uh, one of these churches, uh, that they have a marker. This is kind of an older picture uh, of the church. Uh, here is a, a larger picture. There's a little doorway that's down at the end that is one of the ways you can get down to the place where they have marked where Christ was born. Now, all of this um, is probably pretty reliable. Um, uh, There are, I I just wanted to pull up modern archaeology. I was looking for some archaeology about Bethlehem and came across this picture, and it made me realize modern archaeology is different than Harrison Ford with a sword. Um, This guy's got a drone in the background. Modern archaeology is using some new techniques. Um, But archaeologists have done a lot of study on Bethlehem, although it is difficult to do that study because... um, the churches have been built on top of all of these sites, okay? So it's, it's difficult to do any more uh, searching because there are churches there. Um, but one of the more recent archaeologists uh, doing some research uh, in documents uh, said this. Um, the Ottoman tax record and census from 1596 indicates that Bethlehem had a population of 1,435. So at that point, I want you to think of Bethlehem, the pictures I was just showing you. Um, in the 1500s, around 1600, it was a much smaller town, okay? Only about uh, 1,435 people is what the records showed uh, when there are tax records from that era. Um, but it's probably smaller than that. I'm trying to get your frame of reference uh, settled in here. Um, William Foxwell Albright, uh, the Dean of American Archaeology in the Holy Land, by the way, the kind of the, the zenith of archaeological work uh, in, in the Holy Land was really between 1850 and 1918. After 1918, it got much more difficult to do archaeology there. Uh, but he estimates that the population of Bethlehem at the time of Jesus' birth was about 300 people. Okay, so now I'm trying to get your, the picture in your mind. It's not the modern city. <laughs> it's not even a city of 1,500. It's a city of 300. Okay, it's a small little community where everyone would have known each other, um, but it's not a big deal. It is just a little small gathering of people. Um, 
but it is, in all likelihood, we know the exact spot, the cave, where Jesus was born. Um, an older scholar, Alfred Edersheim, who wrote a book called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, he said this, the Christian heart and imagination indeed long to be able to localize the scene of such surpassing importance and linger uh, with fond reverence over the cave which is now covered by the Church of the Nativity. It may be, nay, it seems likely that this, to which the most venerable tradition points, was the sacred spot of the world's greatest event. Um, It is this little town of about 300 people, on top of which now there are three churches. Uh, The three churches probably comprise the area where the town used to be. Out in the hills, the shepherds were wandering around. But in this little small town, that's where Jesus was born. Um, and, And if you go to Bethlehem, you can get on the tour. They can take you down into the cave, and there's a star there in a cave where they think Jesus was really born. And they're probably accurate. This is one of those few places where I think it's accurate. Bethlehem, little town, 300 people, not even where Joseph is from. Joseph and Mary are from Nazareth up in Galilee, and it's, it's by a decree of a Caesar that they have to travel to Bethlehem to be taxed. There's something that goes on externally that forces them to go to Bethlehem where Jesus was born. And this is an important journey. (laughs) Let me just take you on a little tour. Micah is the verse that almost everybody points to when they talk about Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Yes, it was predicted in Micah. Micah says this, but as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Um, Bethlehem is going to be the place where um, one whose goings forth had been for long ago, forever, his days of eternity, and he's going to come and he's going to rule. This is a messianic prediction of the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem. It's usually the only place people go. We're going to take a little bit more of a significant tour through the Old Testament. Matthew says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen its star, his star at its rising, and have come to worship him. So um, these wise men are coming to worship him. But Matthew's also going to quote, not Micah. He's going to later in the passage quote Jeremiah 31, it's actually verse 15. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Um, At the birth of Christ, a verse is quoted that talks about weeping for children. Now we know the story. It's because the, the wise men, after they worship Jesus, after they give him the gifts, they're warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. They go back another way. Herod finds out that they have left. It makes him angry, but he's still trying to um, destroy the king who would be a rival for him. And so he goes to um, Bethlehem and the areas around there and slaughters all of the children who are two years old or younger. Bethlehem, the place where Christ was born, um, is a place that immediately on the hills of his birth is a place of the slaughter of innocent children. It's a horrible, horrible thing. 
And Matthew understands, and Matthew connects this back to the tradition about Bethlehem in the Old Testament. And he quotes this verse, a voice is heard in Ramah. Ramah is um, on the path that goes from Jerusalem uh, to Bethlehem. It's hard to locate. We're not exactly sure where it is, but it's, 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 it's on the road to Bethlehem. Um, so let's see if we can figure this out. Alan Ross says this, this is Matthew way, Matthew's way of reminding us of what God is doing throughout prophecy and w- with regard to Bethlehem and the suffering that goes on there. For one reason or another, Bethlehem and its births and deaths are singled out because they are more significant to God's program. Every time you encounter Bethlehem, there's going to be birth and death. Birth and death. So it's no accident that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It's the, Na- it's the place where he's going to be born. In fact, everything had to be orchestrated to get them from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Um, because Bethlehem was the place that God always wanted this to happen. Let's go back to the first mention of Bethlehem. It's the story of Rachel. If you remember, um, Abraham has two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael has um, two sons, Esau and Jacob. Jacob marries Rachel. And Rachel and um, his other wife are kind of in competition with each other, but Rachel is his, his favorite one. She's the one, he's the one that, that Jacob loved the most. And, and she's desperate to have a child, but she's barren. Um, his other wife, um, Leah, is going to have many children. They're going to start giving handmaids to Jacob so they can have a lot of children. But Rachel still doesn't have any, any children until at the very end of her life, very close to the end of her life, she gives birth to Joseph. And then they're on their way back. Jacob has been out of the land. He's on his way back into the land. And Rachel is going to give birth to her last child, Benjamin. But then she dies in childbirth in Bethlehem. In Bethlehem, Benjamin is born and Rachel dies. Here it is. Then they moved out on from Bethel. While they were there, still some distance from Ephrathah, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, don't be afraid for you have another son. As she breathed her last, for she was dying, she named her son Ben-Oni, son of my suffering, but his father named him Benjamin, son of my right hand. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrathah, that is Bethlehem. The first time you encounter Bethlehem, it's a birth of Benjamin, um, who she sees as, as suffering, someone who's going to suffer. But Jacob says, no, 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 no. We're not going to call him son of suffering. We're going to call him son of my right hand. Jesus pulls both of that together. Do you see that? I mean, the very first time there's a birth and a death in Jerusalem or in Bethlehem, Jesus is the son who's going to suffer, but he's the son who's going to be exalted to the right hand of the father. That's Genesis. When Rachel saw that she could not give Jacob children, she began, became jealous of her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. This is what happens a couple of chapters earlier. And that's exactly what happens. She has children and she dies in Bethlehem. Um, so just kind of pull that together. I think what we have here is Bethlehem was a place where God, God's promise was fulfilled, but a loved one died. God's promise was fulfilled, that Jacob was having many, many children. He has 12. Benjamin is the last. A child, was di- a child was born. A promise was fulfilled. But a loved one died. This is the setup 
the first movement as we move through. Um, we're not going to spend a lot of time here because we did in the book of Judges before. But if you'll remember, at the end of the book of Judges in chapter 17 through 21, there's what's called the, the Bethlehem Trilogy. Um, the, the book of Judges, and on January 8th, I'll be back and I'll do one message summarizing what we all went through in Judges in our survey of the Bible series. Um, but the book of Judges is a downward spiral until it gets to the worst it can be in the last few chapters. And in Judges 17 to 21, um, everything focuses on kind of what's coming out of Bethlehem. And what's coming out of Bethlehem is complete corruption. Um, and it's kind of signaling the death of the nation. This is the worst the nation is going to get. But even on the heels of that, we have the story of Ruth. And Ruth is kind of the redemption of that. As we went through Judges and, and the horror and the unfaithfulness of God's people, Ruth shows the faithfulness of two exceptions during the time of the Judges. Two exceptions, uh, Boaz and Ruth, who, who live faithfully to the Lord and the Lord blesses them. But even within the book of Ruth, there's the death of a family, but the birth of a king. And do you remember the setting of Ruth? It's in the days when the judges ruled. And then the story takes place where? In Bethlehem. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab to live there. It's, it's highlighting. Do you see how it's highlighting? They're from, they're from Bethlehem. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. These people from Bethlehem, there's death all over the place. But if you remember, while they're there, <laughs> um, Naomi hears that the harvest and the famine is over and the harvest has begun. So she's going to go back. She wants the two girls stay in Moabite, stay in Moab, find some Moabite guys. But Ruth says, no, I want to go with you because I want your God to be my God. And so they go back to Bethlehem. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem when they had arrived in Bethlehem. <laughs> Do you see? It's going out of its way to say all this is taking place in Bethlehem. The whole town was stirred because of them. And the women explained, can this be Naomi? Now they've arrived back in Naomi. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. And then in the book of Ruth, you see um, this wonderful romance story that takes place between the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, um, about a 50-day romance, um, where um, Boaz and Ruth work through all of the hindrances that kept them apart. They get married, and they're going to have a child. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. He arrives from Bethlehem. He's coming back, and this is where he's going to meet Ruth. He meets Ruth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms after the child is born. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Just, I'm, we're working quickly through this, but do you see how this story starts off with Bethlehem, Bethlehem. These people are from Bethlehem, and there's a lot of death. They come back to Bethlehem, they come back to Bethlehem, and at the end, there's the birth of the grandfather of David. <laughs> and that's why Bethlehem is the city of David. It's, it's where um, they're supposed to, 
go back to Joseph and Mary to be taxed because they're in the lineage of David. Uh, The application is we're just tracing this through here. Bethlehem was a place where a king was born in difficult times. Um, In the days when the judges ruled, yes, there was death all around. But in the middle of all that, there's the little little ray of hope. (laughs) Because death is the path that is going to get us to life. Uh, There's another little bit more complex passage in Jeremiah, uh, the death of a nation and the birth of a covenant. Here's what's going on in in Jeremiah's time. Jeremiah is announcing um, that God is going to use the nation of Babylon uh, to judge God's people. And he's telling them in chapter 31, he's telling them, God's going to take you away, away into captivity. But you're going to return. But when you're taken away into captivity, um, there's going to be mourning. And this is the passage that um, Matthew actually quotes. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. In Jeremiah 31, what's happening is the nation is being taken away in captivity. And it's like Rachel from her grave is mourning that her children are being taken away. A voice is heard in Ramah on the way to Bethlehem. Um, Ramah is, they think, maybe where they buried uh, Rachel. She's weeping for her children because they're being taken away into captivity. It's, it's kind of the end of the southern kingdom of Judah. They have been rebellious against God for 700 years. <laughs> and God has finally said, okay, <laughs> you're going to go into exile. But it's in that very same passage in Jeremiah 31 that we read this. This is what the Lord says. Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return. There's weeping in Rama, Rachel, who is the first birth death person. There's weeping by Rachel, but they will return from the land of the enemy. So there is hope for your descendants, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. There is hope. Yes, there's weeping in Rama on the way to Bethlehem by Rachel who gave birth, but she died in Bethlehem. Yes, um, there's going to be judgment, but there is hope. And then the verse that a lot of people love, I, I love the verse, but it is in the context of after judgment, this is the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. After God's judgment, he's going to make a new covenant, and that new covenant to summarize it quickly, the new covenant is not going to be an external code. It's going to be an internal reality. Here's what it says. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Um, It's an internal work that's associated with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So in this context of judgment, Jeremiah 31, they're being judged, they're being taken away, and Rachel is weeping because they're being taken away into captivity. In the context of that, there is this wonderful application that, but God's not finished with his people. After judgment, there's restoration, I think what we see in that message uh, is this, that that Bethlehem was a place remembered 
when death was coming, but hope was born. Jeremiah is saying death is coming. (laughs) They're invading. They're going to take you away. But remember, God is going to make a new covenant with you. God is going to restore you and he's going to make a better covenant. It's not going to be external codes. It's going to be an internal change in your heart. Then we finally make our way to Micah, the verse that most people go to. Um, the birth and, of a divine ruler in the context of judgment. Again, Micah is also a prophet during this time, and he is prophesying um, judgment. But in the middle of the prophesying of judgment, he's going to have this little moment where he talks about how wonderful it is that Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and the peoples will stream into it. Many nations will come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. But then he, right after that, God's going to restore The Messiah is going to come. After this judgment, Messiah is going to come. But then, now muster yourselves in troops, daughters of Zion, for they have laid siege against us. With a rod, they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. Um, There's there's judgment. There's going to be um, difficulty. Um, The nations are going to rise up against God's people. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you, one will go forth for, for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. In the middle of, um, hey, there's hope, he's coming, and yet there's going to be judgment, there's going to be opposition. Bethlehem is the place where Messiah is going to be born. I think we see there, Bethlehem was this place where Messiah would be born, and he would be divine. His goings forth are from old, from eternity. The the divine savior of the world is going to be born in Bethlehem. Now we get to the New Testament, and the focus on Bethlehem continues. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star at its rising and have come to worship him. They go to Bethlehem. They follow the star. They make it to Bethlehem. But then the horrible thing happens. When Herod saw that he had been deceived by the wise men, he became very angry, and he sent soldiers and executed all of the children in Bethlehem and in all the region around it from the age of two years and old and under, according to the time which he determined precisely from the wise men. Then what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled, saying, a voice was heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she did not want to be comforted because they exist no longer." And do you see the history of Bethlehem? It's this place where there's births and there's deaths. There's judgment and there's hope. Um, all of this going on. This horrible thing that Herod the Great does, um, I, I wish history had not given him the name Herod the Great. He's Herod the baby killer. <laughs> um, one scholar who I'm, I'm reading a book by him right now said, said it this way. Herod the Great, who was the king of all the land of Israel from 37 to 4 BC, was a man of powerful body and by nature wild, passionate, harsh, arrogant, calculating, and ruthless. The suspicion, scheming, and cruelty implied in the Matthew accounts of his dealings with the Magi and the slaughter of the babies in Bethlehem are in complete harmony with what is known about his character from other sources. Um, God's in control of all of this history. (laughs) 
God is in control of, of everything that's happening in all of these stories. So much so that um, Joseph and Mary, who live in Nazareth, um, because of a census being taken, have to go to Bethlehem where she gives birth. She gives birth, and right on the heels of that, these children are slaughtered. And it's, and it's a horrible thing. Um, Bethlehem was a place where Messiah would be born, but innocent people would be martyred for him. But I want you to see something strangely in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, there's a picture of where the martyrs are. And here's the point. I'll read the verse. Martyrs are closest to the throne. The first martyrs for Jesus Christ, I believe, are these babies. And they are close to the throne. Here's the verse in Revelation. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slaughtered because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, holy and true Lord, will you not judge and avenge um, our blood from uh, those who live on the earth? And to each one of them, uh, a white robe was given. And it was said to them that they should rest yet a short time until the number of their fellow slaves and their brothers who were about to be killed as they had been were completed also. You see where the martyrs are? <laughs> the martyrs are right by the throne. And those children who were slaughtered that day, I think they're the first ones who got there. And they've been pleading, how long are you going to let this go on, Lord? Because they weren't the only ones who've ever been slaughtered <laughs> for the cause of Christ. But eventually, the number will be fulfilled. Um. Bethlehem was a place where Messiah was born, and others died there, but it really is a picture that he was born in a place that's associated with births and deaths, because he's going to die for our sins. That's, that's what Christ came to do. It is no accident that Jesus was born in a little town, about 300 people, shepherds all around it. Very insignificant. But God orchestrated it so that Mary and Joseph would go there at the time for her birth. Because he had set it up, just like he'd set up kingship and light. He had set it up. Bethlehem is the place where birth and death come together. And throughout scripture that happens, that happens until the most important one ever happens. Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. Others died right immediately for the cause. But Christ was born so that he could die for our sins. And God's plan of redemption has always involved this story that links births and deaths in Bethlehem. From the very first birth, Rachel, who said to Jacob, give me children or I'm going to die. She does get children and she does die. But all of that was the promise that, that God made to Abraham. You're going to have many children. You're going to have a lot of, lot of descendants. And, and through one of those descendants, the entire world is going to be blessed. And that happens from a little birth in a little town on a backwater road, Bethlehem. So what do you do with all that? I've got three, three next steps. I mean, uh, we've, we've kind of traced this along. I, I hope at the very least you've kind of seen that 
that the whole big picture story in the Bible is all leading to Jesus, the light that leads to Jesus. He's the king, and it, these passages that all lead to King Jesus. But Bethlehem has always been leading to a place where the one who was born would die for us. So would you reorient your thinking about the placement of your story and God's story? Maybe the suffering you're going through right now is a path to hope. Maybe the difficulties you're encountering are the ways that, that God is going to show his redemption in your life. Um, reorient your thinking about just how God works. God understands this. God puts it all together so that birth and death are usually pretty closely associated. And will you meditate on the context of the cost of your salvation? I mean, think about it. God planned it for years and years and years and years. For thousands of years, God had it planned. He was dropping little hints throughout. But then Jesus Christ was born in a place where people die. Um, make that a serious part of your Christmas meditations this year. Um, share that with others. And if you're just thinking, oh, Christmas is just a time for um, family and gifts and uh, trees, um, Christmas is a time to celebrate the birth of Christ. But remember, he was born to die. And that all comes together in this little town of Bethlehem. Um, we'd, we'd love for you to join us for Christmas Eve or Christmas Day services this year. Um, but more than being with us, I, I would love for you to be with Christ. <laughs> and take time this, this Christmas season just to quietly spend time with him. Um, maybe you read these stories. Maybe you just meditate on some of the Christmas devotionals. But would you please carve out some time apart from shopping and our Christmas Eve services <laughs> where you're just alone with Christ, remembering that he's the light of the world, he's the king of the world, <laughs> and he was born so he could die for us and provide for our redemption. Father, thank you for... Um, this glorious story you've put in scripture. Um, it's such a realistic story <laughs> because it's honest about suffering and how that fits together with hope. And so, Father, in this holiday season, I pray that we would all focus on the important thing that happened, and that is that Christ came. And in the midst of suffering all around him and death all around him, um, he came and there was an announcement of good news and great joy but that announcement was needed because there's death everywhere and so father as we enter into the last few days of this Christmas season help us to catch some moments where we connect with you pray that you would help us do that by the power of the spirit in Christ's name Amen.